We're starting a new series this morning, and it's going to be in the book of James now. Now, the title or the theme of this entire series in the book of James is Lessons from the Trial. <laughs> Lessons from the Trial. Now, we all are living through a time of trial, a season in our lives, in the world around us, where we are, it is filled with trials. And maybe today you're watching online or, or it's, you are here in person and there have a family trial, a financial trial, or a trial with your health, a physical trial. Well, here throughout the entire book of James, as we go back to chapter 1, and we're going to study it chapter by chapter, unpack it together slowly, we're going to find out that there, are, there is value in trials, there is profit in trials, and there are lessons that we must be careful not to miss in the trial. You see, every season of our lives, when we are submitted to God, there is something to learn. And that's why James chapter 1 is lessons in the trials, because the question today is, how do you face the trials? <laughs> how do you face the trials in your life today? How are you facing the trials today? In fact, this, the trials that are taking place really are revealing to us on our character in the Lord, but also it really grows us when it comes to our spiritual maturity. And just as a form of introduction to the book of James, we're going to really study why he's writing to the church here now, or to the persecuted church, and who is James himself. Now we know that James here is the half-brother of Jesus. James. Now think about what a difficult life James had to live. His older brother was Jesus. And his older brother was perfect. Just imagine growing up like James and his mother Mary looking at James and said, Why can't you just be more like Jesus? And his brother was perfect. And he was maybe so happy when Jesus left home. But to see him come back and declare himself to be the Messiah and James did not believe Christ. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ initially. Later on, he confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. In fact, Paul called James now in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul called James a pillar in the church. Notice when he says this, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right, hand of fellowship. Now notice this, Paul calls James a pillar. James wasn't just a disciple in the church, in the first century church. He was a pillar. He was a leader. He was one that was building the foundation of the first church in the book of Acts, a pillar in the church. And he really followed Christ with a great devotion after his conversion, after his confession of Jesus Christ. He followed Christ obediently. Up close, he followed Jesus. In fact, early church history tells us that James was such a man of prayer that his knees had great thick calluses from praying and his knees looked like the knees of a camel. Just think about that. This man that spent hours in prayer. Now after you read this book, you start to realize that it was the trials that he was going through that kept him a praying man. 
You see, trials should really change your prayer life. In fact, if trials aren't changing your prayer life, how much of that season are you learning from? Because it's when you go in prayer through trials, when you're going through trials and you go into prayer, that the Lord is able to speak to you as to what His plan is. Now He's writing to the Jewish Christians, the persecuted Christians, by the Roman church or by the Roman empire, I'm sorry. That are, that are undergoing trials. And He's giving them instruction to stay in God's will through these trials. Most of them were very poor in the first poor church in the, of Jerusalem. And as the church was growing, they were being oppressed by the rich of the area, the Romans. But this book comes with a lot of application that reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount when it talks about living out your faith. Yes, you have faith, but live that faith out. Your faith must have works that follows that faith. Evidence that your faith is real. Now, how do we know that our faith is real? That our faith is followed up with evidence or with our life. And that's what the book of James is about. A faith that works. A faith that is inspiring action in your life. A faith that is enduring through trials. That type of faith is real. A faith that not only hears the word of God, but a faith that is a doer. Notice that. That is a real type of faith. Not only that, but he says it's a faith that responds to the promises of God with trust and with belief. A real type of faith. A faith that is obedient. A faith that controls, here we go, the tongue. <laughs> and a faith that acts wisely. Now all of these characteristics we're going to see from the book of James. But the central theme throughout these next chapters, and I want you to remember this and even write this down, that the central theme, theme of the book of James is maturity. It's maturity. And spiritual maturity is maybe the greatest need or the number one need in the church today. Spiritual maturity. It is the greatest need or, or not only that, it can be the greatest problem in the church. Spiritual maturity now. Did you know that God is looking for men and women that are mature to carry on His work? In fact, James is really like a tape measure. Almost as if it's reminding us that we are under construction. That God is building us. That God is forming us. That God is molding us to be more like Jesus. And throughout the book of James, we really see this process of maturity, but of transformation, of sanctification, of us becoming more holy, of us becoming more like Jesus now. And really that tape measure, what does it do in construction? It really teaches you and facilitates how to make exact cuts now. How to make the exact changes in our lives for spiritual growth. It acts almost as a mirror. When you look at a mirror, guess what? You must be honest about what you see in that mirror. And what you have to change in order for spiritual maturity to take place. You see, but this is exactly what now James wants to tell the church. That we must grow up. Now I want you to remember that today. Are you growing up in the Lord? Are you growing up? Warren Wordsbeat said it best. He said this, Not everyone who grows old grows up. <laughs> there is a vast difference between age and maturity. Ideally, the older we are, the more mature we should be. But too often, the ideal does not become the real. Age doesn't mean maturity. How mature are you in the Lord? 
Oftentimes we say, well, I grew up in the church. I've been in the church this long, but are you mature? Are you mature in the Lord? In fact, he also gives us a warning here that the trials in our lives present a temptation now for us to want to sin. Trials in our life oftentimes present a temptation to want to compromise. But here he's saying, I want you to live what you say that you believe. Are you living what you say that you believe? Because a lot of people in the book of James or in the church that he's writing to here, James in Jerusalem, these persecuted Christians, they wanted position. <laughs> they said, I want to be a teacher. So he says, no, don't be a teacher actually. Let not many of you become teachers. In fact, a lot of them were disobeying the word of God through trials, through persecution. The things were taking place around the world and all of a sudden they started to compromise when it came to their convictions which were following the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must be careful that in the midst of trials we don't compromise when it comes to our biblical convictions. He's saying do not compromise your biblical convictions. Stop being attracted to worldliness. You know it's very easy to be attracted to what the world has to say right now with the voice of the culture today. And he's telling them, stop being attracted to the voice of the world now or showing favoritism because they were showing favoritism to the rich. And not only were they doing that, but they did not control their tongue. And all of these behaviors, notice this church please, all of these behaviors were evidences of spiritual immaturity. Not controlling the tongue, wanting position, attracted to holiness, wanting to hear the voice of what the culture has to say. All of it was an evidence of spiritual immaturity. But here he's going to tell them how to live, how to lead through crisis, through trials. Because it's very vital that we learn the value from these seasons and not miss out. God has a purpose in everything. I want you to know that today. God has a reason that He wants to reveal Himself to you in every season. And the trial today will test your faith. You will learn a lot about our character in the trial. But we must make the decision. You must make the decision today. And I hope that and I pray that you do. To remain submitted to God in the trial. Regardless of what happens, we will remain submitted to God in the trial. Now in order to experience victory, and we're going to see that in the first few verses of the first chapter of James today, that in order now to be able to experience victory in trials, you must number one count, you must number two know, you're going to see that in today's verses, number you must number three let, and you must also ask, I must count, have a joyful attitude throughout every season, an understanding mind. I know what God is doing. I might not know what He's doing, I'm sorry. But I know that I can trust Him in this season. I will be surrendered to Him. And I, have, I want to have a heart that wants to believe now and trust Him in every area of my life. Let's go ahead and pray right now. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word and we ask that it would speak to us now. Lord, we ask that we would count it all joy when we go through every trial and that you would build maturity in our lives. Lord, we want to be able to profit in the trials. We want to know what it's like to count it all joy, to know what trials are producing in us, to let patience have its perfect work, and to ask for wisdom. 
And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us these things so that we can experience victory in the trial. We pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Now it says here, James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now we see here that James is saying he is the author. He's writing now to the church and he identifies himself as a bondservant. Or look at the attitude that he takes upon. It's an attitude of a doulos or a voluntary slave now. And he maintains, he identifies himself with an attitude of a servant in the season of a trial. What an example. In the season of trials, I'm going to identify myself as a servant of God. This is a consistent example that we must follow in every season. I am just a bondservant. I'm a voluntary slave, slave to God. Now notice what he's saying to the 12 tribes or to the Christians now that are scattered abroad. Why are they scattered abroad? They're scattered abroad due to persecution. Now church history tells us that, that persecution is almost as of a backdrop that allows now the gospel of Jesus Christ to expand. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 1 and throughout the first century church, we see that persecution really now allowed the church to be purified, but also for the furtherance of the gospel. And through persecution, we see the gospel expand. We see the gospel endure. And we also see that the Christians were evangelizing. And he tells them this now, greetings, verse 1 and 2, talking to the church. But now he, he commands them, he exhorts them with the first word that we will observe today, and that was the word count. Notice how he says this in verse 2. My brethren, to the believer, to the church, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now I don't know about you, but when we fall into various trials, it is not in our nature to be joyful about it. In fact, we get discouraged. We get now frustrated, we get angry, we get impatient when we're going through trials. But here he's saying, my brethren, I know you're going through trials. I know that it's a very difficult time for you as a church. I know you're undergoing hardships, but my brethren, count it all joy. Not some joy, count it all joy. This word count is a financial or it's an accounting term, count. It really means to evaluate. You like taking notes? Write that next to count. To evaluate. Count or evaluate, consider it as an opportunity for joy, as a privilege, as a responsibility as of a believer. Make a conscience choice or a conscience commitment now to consider it all joy. Now notice that he says don't consider it discouragement. Don't consider it for a reason of resignation. Notice, when we go through trials, what do we want to do? We want to resign. We want to give up. We are angry. We're discouraged now. But here he's saying, I want you to focus on how you treat the trial. Are you spiritual about it? Or are you now trying to work everything in the trial through your own strength? Are you upset now? Are you finding any value here? Because the only way that you can learn or you can grow in the trial is when you count it all joy. You cannot learn and you won't ever grow if you're complaining, if you're angry, if you're impatient. 
You will only learn in the trial. You will only grow in the trial when you're counting it all joy. Now, cultivating a life of joy means a life of obedience. It means a life of gratitude. It means a life of worship, of fellowship with the believers, of prayer, of Bible reading. You can count it all joy when you face trials in life because we evaluate, we look at those trials, we count those trials in light of what God is doing for us. I can count it all joy because I know God is doing something for me. And I can have joy because I'm living for the things that matter most. Are you living for the things that matter most? That's when you can count it all joy. Because I understand this, please, even as we, before we move forward, that, that our values, what you value, determines your evaluation of the trial. <laughs> Which means that if you value comfort more than character, more than likely you're going to be upset in the trial. <laughs> if you value more the physical than the spiritual, you're going to be very frustrated in the trial. What you value now determines your evaluation. Is comfort more important to you or is character? Now notice what he says this, count it all joy, circle the word in your Bible, when. <laughs> it doesn't say if you fall into various trials, church. I want you to count it all joy if you do, because some of you will and some of you won't. No, it doesn't say if, but it says when you do, because you will. <laughs> when, it talks about a time that you will. When you fall into various, means diverse trials, which signify affliction, it can be physical, which signify persecution in this context, or any trial of any kind, count it all joy. Now notice this, that our joy is not based on our circumstance. Our joy is based off what we know. You might ask yourself, well I don't know what God is doing, but you do know His promises that are found in His Word. A lot of times we look around our world and we see suffering, we see injustice, we see pain. And we ask ourselves, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. But I can trust that your word promises a final victory. And in that final victory, you tell us to have peace and to have joy. Notice in John chapter 16, verse 33, this is a promise for you and for me that can carry us to the next season in life as we're going through trials. These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you that in me you may have, number one, peace. I want you to have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Isn't this amazing? What do you think they thought, these disciples? I'm going to promise you something. Tribulations. <laughs> what a promise, Jesus. But with the promise of tribulations also comes the promise of peace. In this world you will have tribulations, but I'm telling you this so that you can have peace in every tribulation. I'm telling you this beforehand so that you have peace in every tribulation. But be of good cheer. But cheer up. You're going to have tribulations, but I'm telling you beforehand so that you can have peace and that you can cheer up, be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. What is he promising here? He's promising final victory over every tribulation. Now this is amazing here because now as we move to verse 3, he says this, count it all joy as you fall into various trials. Verse 3, the second word we'll talk about today, after we have counted, after we have considered every situation as an opportunity to have joy in the Lord, I can have joy because of what I know. Knowing here, not feeling, but knowing. 
A lot of times we become very discouraged because of how we feel in the trial, not because of what we know in the trial. Have you ever noticed that maybe you're oftentimes going through a trial and you start to feel now emotions of discouragement, feelings of maybe anxiety, where restlessness comes upon you and, and you're saying, you know what, I, I just had enough, I don't want any more of this. What, what do you know though? The Bible says to focus not on how you feel, but on what you know. Knowing what? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You ought to know this. Not how you feel, but what you know. And what you know makes it easier for us to face trials because now we are learning how we can benefit from these situations. The testing of your faith. Well, I can know one thing, that this is testing my faith. It's a test. And it's a test to my faith. This trial is testing my faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like tests. <laughs> and if you like tests, then maybe you like studying too. <laughs> Oftentimes, a test will come in a form of a trial and it's only so that we can grow in that time of testing in our lives. The testing of your faith is testing your faith. To know the strength of your faith. To make your faith durable. To make your faith dependable. To make your faith mature. To make your faith one that is in, full of integrity. Now, it's a test of your faith. What does it produce? Notice this. Every trial, when it comes to your faith, produces patience. Now, that word patience, it's, it's an amazing word because it means maturity. The testing of your faith produces maturity. Produces dependability. Produces perseverance. Produces strength now. Here he's saying, you're going to go from an emotional follower of Christ to an enduring, dependable, mature follower of Jesus. The New Living Translation says this, For you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I can count it all joy when I'm going through any kind of trial, because I know that when my faith is tested, my endurance has a chance to grow. Now notice this, faith is tested through trials. Faith is not produced by trials. Faith is tested through trials. It's not produced by trials. In fact, trials reveal to us what real faith we do have or we don't have. And to those around us as well. And it's very evident to ourselves and to those around us. In fact, what, what trials are doing, it, it's producing the character of God in us and the qualities of godly character for us. Write down in your Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says, And not only that, but we also glory or we praise God in tribulations. Now, this is an amazing picture. It's almost as if someone that's going through a tribulation and they stop just to sing a worship song and to praise God in their tribulation. <laughs> Knowing, notice that again, knowing, not feeling. We praise God in tribulation knowing that tribulation here produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Now, do you see how in the trial there is hope found as God is maturing you in every season of your life? This is amazing. Because of what you know, you can glory. In fact, I want you to know this, that those with the greatest faith are those that have been tested through trials. They have real faith. They have a faith that is durable. I remember talking to one of our dear sisters here at the church and 
to when this entire, you know, a couple of months ago when this, all this thing went down, this whole season of, uh, of quarantine and all of that. And, and she says, you know what, Art? This is an elderly just sister in our church. And she says, Art, whatever God sends me, I'll gladly accept. <laughs> That's coming from a person whose faith has been tested. Your faith, the trials here, notice this, the trials here are testing your faith and it's producing one thing, patience. Now patience, again, it's not talking about or describing a passive waiting, but an active endurance. It's not like if you're waiting in a waiting room quietly at a doctor's office. It's not talking about that kind of patient. Like just be patient or we're coming. It's almost your turn. It's not referring to that type of patient. In fact, it's referring to or the quality of almost an athlete's endurance of a marathon runner that allows them to finish the race. Patience, maturity, endurance. It's talking about one that has endurance now. It's the frame of mind which endures. That, what, that is the kind of patience that it's referring to. In fact, at its root, this word patience means to remain under. To remain under. It's a picture of someone that's carrying a heavy load on their shoulders and instead of or refusing to carry or choosing to come out of that heavy load, they are choosing now to carry that load and endure. Patience. You see how there's so much value and why is it you would ask yourself that God wants me to be patient? Because God wants us to make us patient because that is the key to any other blessing in your life. Patience is the key to any other blessings in your life. Have you noticed that God is never in a rush once He wants to do a work in your life? In fact, the child of God that knows how to wait will see God do great things in their life. And that child of the Lord that never learns to wait or does not want to be patient will not learn ever anything else. If you don't want to learn patience, more than likely we won't learn anything else. Patience is essential for spiritual maturity. Trials are essential for spiritual maturity. There is value in the trial. What did he say? Count? He said no. But also in verse 4, let's read it, because he says now, let. Today we're going to count. We're going to know, but also we're going to let. Verse 4, it says this, but let patience, <laughs> let endurance, let godly character, notice this, let maturity, have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking what? Nothing. Let patience grow. The word let is the word that's saying, you know what, allow it to take place in your life. Let the Lord build maturity. Because we need a maturity. In fact, it uses the word let because God can build godly character without your cooperation. God can ever, cannot build character in your life when you are rebellion or you're living in rebellion or you are rebelling to Him or against Him in the trial. You're not going to grow. You're not going to learn. We're rebelling against God in the trial. We're complaining. We're saying, Lord, well, I don't want it to go down this way. Lord, I want it to be my way. Then guess what? Patience is not going to have its perfect work. 
If you're kicking and complaining and saying, you know what, well, I resign, well, I give up, well, I, I don't want to do this anymore, then guess what? Patience will not have its perfect work. Therefore, let speaks about submission to God in the trial. Let, if you submit to Him, He can accomplish His work. But are you going to submit to Him in the trial? Because if you do, He will accomplish what He needed to accomplish in that time. Now think about this, if we grow impatient in difficulties, if you grow impatient in difficulties, you will never grow spiritually. You will either grow impatient or you will grow spiritually. Which one is it going to be? Let patience have its perfect work. Why? Because it talks about an endurance. Let endurance continue to develop in your life. Let it be fully developed because then you will be perfect. Then you will be mature. Then when you will be now complete. Complete means whole. You will be mature, you will be whole, and you will be lacking nothing. You know what lacking nothing means? This is very powerful, lacking nothing. It means you will be mature, you will be whole, and you won't want anything. <laughs> That's a sign of maturity. A sign of immaturity is that you always want something. You will be perfect, you will be whole, and you will desire nothing. Because you are going to value now the spiritual things over the temporal things. You're not going to be complaining. You're not going to be wrestling. You're not going to go to the world to try to find an explanation for your trial. You're going to go to the Lord and say, Lord, how can I submit in this trial? Because I want to learn. Don't waste the trial. Because we are not submitting to God. Be patient. Let Lord, let, tell the Lord, Lord, I want you to build in me what is perfect and build in me what is lacking. Notice, this is an amazing part of Scripture now. Because it's talking about a mature spiritual character of integrity. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, look at what Paul tells the church now. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. <laughs> let us go on to maturity now, church. You must grow up from the elementary principles that you've received. You must go beyond being a new believer. You see, it's so sad. Oftentimes we're, where we are walking with the Lord, but in the infancy stages of new believers, where we don't grow beyond that because we shy away from trials or because every time something hard comes in our life, we want to quit, resign, give up, and we don't want to be in the Word of God. We don't want to be in prayer. We don't want to go to church because I have so much going on in my life so I can't go now. Do you think you're going to grow that way? You think patience is going to have its perfect work with that mentality, with that attitude? No, count it all joy. I'm going through trials, therefore I must be at prayer. I must be at the Bible study. I must be in God's Word. So that I can go beyond these elementary principles and that I can grow up. Some of us need to grow up from complaining so much. It's so, it's so interesting because even in the church through times like this... We get a lot of prayers, but we also get a lot of complaints. <laughs> and I want to tell you that whether they're prayers or complaints, we love you. We want to see you grow. You must grow. In fact, the Lord will allow the trial to accomplish what it's lacking in your life. So therefore, you're not rebelling against God's will. And they're so essential, so we must learn. 
Some trials are going to teach us what we would not have learned otherwise without having gone through them. Because some of the lessons in the trial are, are caught instead of taught. The trials are a classroom now and God uses them almost as, as if He's weaning now His children now. Think about a little child when he gets weaned from being fed from his mother. Guess what? It's such an uncomfortable now season for that child, right? But after he's weaned from his mother now, it's a sign of, of, of now maturity and it's also a sign of liberty from that child so that child can grow on and grow up and go on and start to grow. But it's an uncomfortable season. We must count it all joy, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, right? Letting patience have its perfect work. Say, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, do it. And then we must ask. Let's go to the last word that we're going to read today in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, what is he saying? God is promising something in the trial. He's saying, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Wisdom is needed for today. Write that down, please. Wisdom is needed today. What is needed? Wisdom is needed in the trial. In fact, trials bring a necessary season to seek for wisdom, to ask for wisdom. And it says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Ask God. In fact, the word ask is a word that invites you to greater dependency with God, that invites you to a greater prayer life with God. And it says, ask God who gives generously, who gives according to His excellent greatness, to who gives without reproach. He gives without limitation. He doesn't rebuke you for asking now. He doesn't hold wisdom back. He gives it to you. A lot of times we say, well, you know what? I have knowledge. In fact, the world tells us that as long as you have knowledge, you have power. But what good is knowledge if you have no wisdom? <laughs> have you ever seen someone that has a lot of knowledge but doesn't know how to use it? You can have a lot of knowledge and be lost. <laughs> you can be filled with knowledge and be absolutely lost because you don't know how to use that knowledge. That's what wisdom means. In fact, knowledge is raw information, but wisdom is knowing how to use it. Do you see how, how th that's so different? Someone once said, knowledge is the ability to take things apart. Oh, knowledge, I know how to take things apart. But wisdom is knowing and the ability of putting things back together. Wisdom is the ability or the right to apply truth. And you know why I'm saying ask for wisdom? Because in, in, when you ask for wisdom, notice this, when you ask for wisdom, it helps us not, now not waste the trial. When you have discernment, when you have understanding in the trial, you will not waste the trial. We need wisdom or we will waste the opportunity that God is giving us to mature. Just imagine this entire season, God has given you an opportunity to mature. If you do not have wisdom, you will waste the opportunity to mature. In fact, wisdom helps us understand our circumstances and how to use those circumstances for good and for the glory of God. Lord, give me wisdom so that I can, in this trial, use it for the glory of God and use it for my good. I don't want to be like a little kid that is throwing a tantrum in the trial. I want to be like a child of God that is being patient, that is bearing that trial, that is enduring. Thank you because you're giving me an opportunity to grow. Do you know trials give you that opportunity to grow? But notice as he's saying here in verse 5, who gives 
with all liberal, uh, liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God will give you wisdom. But here he asks, he also tells us on how not to ask. Ask in faith, verse 6. But let him ask in faith, let him ask believing that God is going to give him wisdom. You know, faith here, he's saying, let him ask with full assurance. Let that person ask, that man or woman of God, let him ask as one that trusts in God that he will receive. It says, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let, for let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. This is so important here, verse 5 through 8. Because he's saying, ask without doubt. Ask with complete trust in God alone. You see here, this is a very important piece here. And, and I think we need to learn this when we talk about maturity. Because he's saying, don't be unstable. You know what trials sometimes do to us? They create instability. But when you go in prayer, guess what you can do in prayer? Guess what you can do with faith? You can create now a place of stability for you. Because you know what God is accomplishing you is much greater than what you're going through. And you're saying, Lord, thank you so much. I'm not wavering. I'm not going to ask. And I'm not going to be like a wave. Have you ever been to the beach and seen the waves? It's so beautiful, right? But what does the waves do? The waves go, they go in and then they come back out. And if you're not careful, they'll knock you down. <laughs> you can't trust the waves. Have you, do you think you can trust the waves? Absolutely not. If you don't believe me, go out there. No, please don't do that. <laughs> Without knowing that there is some type of danger and risk involved that you better know and be alert because the wave comes in and out. It's tossed by the wind, right? The wave. Now he's saying that person that asks but is doubting, it's almost like a wave that is just asking the Lord for wisdom, but doubts because of circumstances. Well, yes, I'm asking, but I'm also doubting that God's going to give it to me because of the circumstance. And the circumstance is tossing that believer back and forth and back and forth. And they are very unstable. That means at one moment they're asking for it, but they don't really believe. And this is an evidence now of immaturity, of instability. Just like you can't trust the waves, you can't trust someone that's going to ask that way either. In fact, it says in verse 7, let that person know that he won't receive a thing from God because he's so unsettled just like the waves that is being tossed. That's what he's saying, ask in faith or pray with faith. And the greatest enemy of prayer, the greatest enemy of prayer is unbelief and doubt. Doubt. Doubt will destroy your prayer life. It will. Because you're not going to see any answers to prayers. He's saying, I want you to ask in faith. Don't ask with a heart that is doubting. Because a heart that is doubting, guess what it, it describes that person? A heart that is doubting is because it has a mind that is double-minded. There's duplicity. That means that I'm being loyal to God, but I'm also being loyal to the circumstances and to the world around me, so I don't know which one to believe. Verse 8, let's read it. It says, For he is a double-minded man, and what is he? Unstable. Unstable. The problem with instability is that it creates so much room for immaturity in our lives, where we never grow and we're unstable. In fact, what we need is stability because stability gives us consistency. 
We need to be stable people that gives us consistency. And we're not like the wave that is being tossed to and fro. We hear the news. We're not tossed to and fro. We hear a coworker that has a great opinion. We're not tossed to and fro in our trial. We're stable. We're planted. We are grounded now. We're mature. Doesn't matter what you tell me. I know what I know. And I know that it's the truth. I'm not scared. I'm not influenced by that person that I admire or that person that I like. I'm not influenced by somebody else even in my own household. I know the Word of God. And in the trial, I am stable. I'm not double-minded. Double-minded means that I believe one thing, but I behave contrary to the confession that I made of what, that, which, of what I believed. I believe this thing, but my behavior is contrary. I'm double-minded. My loyalty is divided between God and the world. I'm unstable in everything that I do. That's what it's saying. You know what it talks about? It's, it talks about a person that lacks foundation. Lacks foundation. They just want to be all over the place. <laughs> and often tri trials will do that for us. Where we're not sure of anything. Well, I'm not really sure that I'm going to do that. What, what are you sure of then? <laughs> you have to be sure of something. Are we sure that the Lord is holding us in our trial and is producing patience? You see, because here in the first eight verses, what James is telling the church is that we ought to trust God because it results in stability. Unstable people will always be filled with doubt. But today, your faith, notice this, your faith is a point of stability for your family. Your faith is a point of stability for your children. Your faith is a point of stability for even your marriage. And what James is telling the church here as far as growing stable is that, that real faith produces genuine stability, maturity, maturity. That, therefore, I can count it all joy when I go in through every, uh, all kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience, letting patience have its perfect work, submitting to God, letting God do what He needs to do in my life, and in the process of enduring, I'm going to ask for wisdom. Can we do that today? Say, Lord, we're going to endure, but we are going to ask for wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. It's so true today. We need it, Lord Jesus. We want to be those believers that are with a strong foundation, Lord. We want to be stable in everything that we do. Believing one thing, Lord, but also behaving that same way. We ask, Lord, that you will let us control the tongue in the trial. That you let us count it all joy. That we would see it as an opportunity for joy, Lord. That we see it as an opportunity that you're producing something in us, Lord. There are often times where you, we want to speak out in the trial instead of saying, Lord, do what you want. <laughs> Lord, I ask, Lord, that we would go not on how we feel, but we would submit to you because of what we know. That the testing of our faith, that the season of our faith, it's producing maturity. And that we would not waste the opportunity to mature. There are often times we waste some of the greatest lessons that you wanted to teach us, Lord. 
because of our feelings, because of our opinions. We don't want to live off of opinions. We want to live off of truth. Not off of feelings, but off what we know, Lord. Not off of policies, but off of precepts. We ask, God, that you would mature your church. We ask for wisdom, Lord, right now. Wisdom that goes beyond knowledge. Wisdom, Lord, so that we would utilize and make the most out of every opportunity. Give us wisdom, Lord, so your spirit dictates the choices and decisions that we make. Your spirit. In Jesus' name, together we said.